Hello there. It's uh, beginning metal detecting with William Kennedy. Um, I'm going to keep going on the um, the forefathers and um, our mothers, what they used to do. Uh, <clears throat> keep going on the the, um, <clears throat> the pages that I've printed up and things. So, anyways, how's it all going for you? It's going pretty good for me. Um, everything is fine, just staying busy and things like that. And haven't done any metal detecting, really. Just out in the yard a little bit with my uh, my Vanquish. Um, it seems to be a, a really good detector. It's a little bit, little bit better than the single frequencies, but like I always say, um, it's always what you can afford. So, <clears throat> if you have to have a single frequency detector at first, have a few of them, have one or two, maybe trade in one or two for a new one or a used one, or um, there's plenty of places to find them online. Uh, but right now, uh, there seems it, it seems to be all dried up. Most of the stuff is older single frequency and you can get some pretty cheap prices for some of the single frequencies say bounty hunter fisher something like that and then the prices really go up after that um usually if you have to get something new there's plenty of new stuff out there there's never a shortage of that it's uh the used inventory they don't have much of um it seems to be getting a little bit better <clears throat> since um a lot of the areas have come down um and, uh, and people have gone back to work now and stuff like that. There still is a little bit of uh, pockets of lockdown and stuff like that through the, through the um, states and stuff through, throughout America and possibly overseas too. Um, but you know, everything, is, everything is good in Minnesota, I'll tell you that. It's, uh, we had a little bit of dew last night and there's a lot on the grass. I have to get out this afternoon and mow the lawn and because uh, it's getting rather long after that rain we had so temperatures are getting a lot cooler here which is nice i only metal detect usually in the spring and in the fall i never detect in the summertime there's just way too many bugs there i'm just waiting for that first frost and stuff to kill them off um, it has been getting rather cold now for a lot of the insects, so um, a lot of them are going away. Mosquitoes are still around. They're still finding warm places to be and things like that. Um, usually in my garage quite a bit. I had a fire last night that kind of chases them off a little bit, and it got rather cold last night. I think it was around, I don't know, 30-something, close to 30, around four, probably about 40s, 45, maybe 50 uh, around there it wasn't it didn't freeze last night so just a lot of dew on the grass and things like that and I just sit out and it cleared out and looked at the stars and things like that so I just like the fall it's um you know lots of fires and stuff like that I've always I've always liked it not so much the winter there it's uh gets to be a little bit of work all that snow you gotta shovel or snow blow and hopefully it's all dry so I'm going to have to get in and uh, do the snowblower here pretty soon. Um, Got to build a, a, a front lower piece for it. I borrowed it to a guy here last or the, earlier this year and he broke it. 
and his uh, his snowblower wasn't working. And I said, I told him, I said, did you drain the gas out of the tank? And he never did. And I asked him this year. He just looks at me like, okay, if yours doesn't work and you got to borrow mine, yours is going to be 30 bucks for me to fix it because you don't know how to do it. And, you know, I told you this last time it was a freebie. Next one's going to cost you. So I guess he's okay with that. Maybe I'll charge him maybe 35, 40 bucks for my time. Because the, the bowl inside was just awful. It was just gummed up and everything with old fuel and stuff. The jets were all clogged up. That's why it didn't even run. So I had to pull that all apart and blast that out with the air compressor. And then uh, put a little something in his fuel so uh, it would uh, keep it clean. I, I usually use um In my snowblowers, I run premium. I don't even run that. 87. The only time I run 87 is in the car. All the other stuff, these carburetors and stuff, you don't leave anything in the carburetors because it'll just, it'll just gum up and everything, something awful. Any of the stuff that you put in, it's probably pretty good premium I would trust. Um, anything else, you got to put additives in it. It's kind of iffy, kind of. So uh, after the season, I always run uh, all the fuel out and get it out of the tank and stuff. And then I know, I know it starts every, every year just no problem you know i mean i have to prime it out and everything because the bowl is all dry not no fuel out of there because you know i had uh, uh weathered it you know and, and stored it you know over the summertime and i just checked the plug and that thing just fires up real good but i gotta get plenty of fuel on the bowl first so and that's the thing about running premium it's um, a lot better for the engine and the carburetor keeps it little cleaner well it runs a little bit better i suppose you could go and run 87 if you wanted to because the one that i have is a mixed gas uh, i have a bigger one but i have to get a whole different carb for that um, there's a couple pieces missing i may be able to go online and stuff and find a carburetor for that toro so or just buy another carburetor and then have extra pieces laying around i'll just put it in the parts bin or something like that Okay, well, I'm going to keep going here on uh, what the Pioneers did. Um, this one is called uh, Trapping and um, Winter for Beaver, Muskrat, just like our forefathers did. Uh, there's a quote here by S. Patrick. Uh, Feel what, is, what it's like to, uh, to truly starve, and I guarantee you, you'll, you'll forever think twice about wasting food. <clears throat> That's a good quote. Okay. I was born in Seattle, Washington, and there's not much of a way of um, trapping going on up there. I was relocated at an early age to Lowell, Wyoming. That's not actually the reason my family moved, but once I developed my passion for trapping, it was good enough for me. In case you've never heard of Lowell, don't feel bad until I was relocated at the age of eight. Neither had I. In fact, I guess I would guess that most folks couldn't point um, to it on a map without searching it for well, the whole state first. Lowell is about 100 miles due east of what we call the park, which Yellowstone National Park. I don't know Lowell 
has any bigger population now than it had when I was uh, a kid 40-odd years ago. It just stayed around 2,200 people. The reason this area is so good for trapping is that um, right up at the foothills of the Bighorn Mountains, it's a prime uh, area for many miles around for hunting, fishing, trapping. So like many young, younger boys back then in a small town with those types of opportunities, I trapped all winter and cut firewood and sold it or bucketed hay and alfalfa all summer. I have to tell you that I greatly prefer trapping to bucking um, for reasons uh, you may well know. Imagine Wyoming uh, can get a little warm in the summer and if you've ever bucketed bucketed, uh, wet heavy alfalfa in the summer, I don't have to tell you anymore. Why are forefathers trapped? Personally, I was I was trapping for the money growing up in a small town. It was a good way to make money during the winter months. When things really slowed down in the the summer job areas, our forefathers on the other hand trapped for various, or trapped for a variety of reasons, some of which may surprise you. Yes, of course, there was a fur trade so they obviously trapped for the money as a matter of fact. Many men who went bust in various gold and land rushes went on to make their fortunes in the fur trade. One such man was John Jacob, assessed at a, a store, a German-born uh, immigrant. He got his big break in the fur trade and went on to become a millionaire. A vast New York real estate owner and legendary patron of the arts. The major, the majority of our forefathers trapped for money. However, many who traded in furs also used them as clothing for themselves and their families. They would quite typically feed the carcasses to the dogs and a normal homestead had several. They would also use small chopped pieces of carcass to drop in the seed seeds uh, hole with uh, their corn plantings. The pieces would uh, decompose and provide nutrients for the corn stalks. That's interesting. I never heard of people dropping um, meat in the, the holes for the corn. Huh. I suppose that would work, yeah. Compared to what we spray out there now, huh? That really smells good. If the wind's blowing right, right? Um, What we have realized is that our forefathers trapped, hunted, farmed, and fished to stay alive in most cases. They used every part of the animal or plant in the way we have, but all but lost today. As an example, they would use a corn stalk that we throw away today for at least five different natural remedies, including kidney stones and... um, D-E, or E-D-E-M-A, and edema or something like that. Not sure what that means. I'm sure uh, some people in the listening to the podcast could probably tell you what that is. Maybe a nurse or something. Or a doctor. In truth, I wish we would go back to a lot of that, that 
and get away from all these these drugs that are being pushed today. The best places to trap for beaver and muskrat. Beaver and muskrat habitats range from Florida to Canada with real exemptions being any of the arid states such as Arizona, New Mexico, and others. There has been a few dens found along the U.S. border with Mexico, but definitely not in any appreciable quantities. Uh, Most beaver weights between 26 and 90 pounds, with only a few making it to 100 pounds. Marking accordingly to the Fish and Wildlife Organization, uh, fishandlife.org, muskrats usually only weigh 1.3 to 4.4 pounds, but are typically much more abundant, says wildlife.org. And just take a little commercial break for if you guys ride motorcycle or anything. Um, you can call it beginning William beginning metal detecting with William Kennedy slash small engines, whatever you want to call it. Sure, some of you ride motorcycles and stuff. Um, or, you know, in the summer, uh, ATVs, dirt bikes, street bikes, cruisers. Um, Hopefully you're all, you know, when you put it away, hopefully you're all checking battery connections and stuff like that. And uh, If you have fuel injection, I usually, I put premium gas in my, for my bike. I can keep it over the winter. I don't even have to put anything in it. I'll put a little bit of um, seafoam in it once in a while when I'm running it. And then I might put some of that in there, um, usually when I store it. <clears throat> For some of us, you know, a, a, a motorcycle jack is actually pretty good for um, uh, for keeping the bike up off the ground um, during the winter. Some of us, you know, we don't have the money. Um, one thing you can do with that is um, put it on a couple pieces of cardboard so the, the tires aren't right directly on the floor. Because uh, when you get it out out of winter in the springtime, you're going to have flat spots on the tire and it's going to seem a little bit weird rolling down the road so anything you can keep flat spots off the tires um there is other things i mean that you can get for the dirt bikes the lighter ones you can put a a bucket underneath there with a board or something and try to get the bike up if it's light enough um other people they have those one kits that you get for the bike where you get these two um things with wheels and you you put the you put these devices on the front front and back um, areas of the frame and then you can lift it with these uh, two apparatuses with um, with wheels on them and they they keep the bike up and it's a little cheaper buying those that you just got to put those uh, little things on the front fork and the back um, back half of the swing uh, swing arm there <clears throat> I'm not sure how you do that. I've seen that in in advertisements and YouTubes and stuff like that. That looks pretty good. That's usually for 
little lighter bikes. I suppose you could use it on heavier bikes, I would imagine. Um, but I, I would imagine those apparatuses would probably have to be heavy steel as you start getting into bikes that are five and six and seven hundred pounds or you're talking a lot of weight so myself i just have one of those um, harbor freight uh, uh, motorcycle lifts which work actually really good i mean they're probably made in china or whatever like that but they seem to be pretty good construction it is kind of shoddy construction a little bit if you take a look at it and stuff like that all of them do look pretty good i mean for the money I mean, they actually work pretty good. Um, uh, periodically with those uh, hydraulic pumps, you have to check them, make sure that there's enough oil in them because um, they, they, they tend, some of them tend to leak a little bit. Um, I've, been, I've had pretty good luck. Um, I've had it for, I bought it last year and it's been pretty good. I, I do use it periodically when I, um, if I have to check the air pressure because it's in a really odd place on the back tire and my air chuck is too long for my compressor so I have to get a shorter one so <clears throat> I just jack the bike up and then just do it and then I can rotate the tires and stuff like that and doing it safely of course um, I mean they, they can stand for a little bit of rock rocking on there but not too much but just for peace of mind if you, if you have one and you don't want it to fall over, I suppose a person could take a couple ratchet straps and put it on the frame and then put it on your jack and stuff like that. It would hold it down pretty well. Um, I would probably do that as if I was uh, changing tires or something like that. Um, I have tubes on mine, so i got to be extra careful. It's not tubeless. And it's, it's the spoke kind of one. And in, in doing that and stuff like that, you know, I just check, kind of check it over and do a little, you know, check the oil and stuff like that. When I put it away, usually you don't have to change the oil in the wintertime. You can always wait till spring because that oil isn't that bad. Um, and then I go in and look at all the wiring and things like that while I'm cleaning the bike up for the wintertime. I, I'll clean my bike up pretty thoroughly and then I have to... Uh, double cover that thing because it is like it's probably one of the longest frames I've ever seen on a bike um uh like the Harleys I've never seen like even the, the even the ultras um these frames are not even this long and this this victory that I have it's the longest frame I've ever had um uh, maybe by a foot or something like that but you can tell the difference it's uh <clears throat> I don't know if they're any heavier or lighter, probably about the same, same weight, you know, wet weight, um, you know, the gas and oil, and if you have a radiator on, I suppose. But I always check tire depth um, to see if I need to change the next year. Um, normally, I use uh, running during the season. I'll use a Castro uh, 10W40. Ames oil is pretty good. That's a 2050. That's a full synthetic. Um, it's a little bit more pricier. You're going to probably pay anywhere from uh, 12 on up to about $15 a quart, where um, the Castro motorcycle stuff is maybe about nine, maybe 10, maybe eight and a half, depending upon if any out there that are veterans and stuff, you could probably get a 10% discount on your oil. I usually, um, over the winter, I usually buy a quart at a time. I won't buy the whole thing right away. So it gets me out to the auto store and stuff like that to get those things. Um, 
I preferably probably wouldn't uh, well Napa isn't too bad but they don't they don't carry any of the other brands um, usually if I want something from Napa I have to have them order Castrol because they don't carry it so sometimes I'll buy a whole case it's usually let's see mine takes like six quarts I know that's a big um, uh, big oil oil holder on that thing in the oil pan I don't know why it's got to take so much oil but back then I suppose in 02 you know uh, there was more lubrication for the motor or something because it's a just a different design generally I mean I'm not I'm not knocking any of the motorcycles I like them all but all of them have their flaws and things like that and that's that's with any manufacturer they have that um Uh, that's about it on the motorcycle thing. I mean, I'll get more into um, what you should do and stuff like that. I could write it down, but there's so many things you could do, you know, for your motorcycle before you put it away. Um, depending upon how you do it, I don't know. Some guys cover it up, some guys don't. Some guys just clean it up and just leave it. And then clean it up a little bit in the springtime, I suppose, before they take it out. Uh, whether it's ATVs or whatever. A lot of people don't cover their stuff up, so I just, I don't know. I guess it's just a preference, personal preference for you. I'm not going to get into it with that stuff. What you do is your own business, and, you know, and it's it's all good. As long as it's, uh, as long as it's out, of the, out of the winter, out of the, the water and everything like that, and doesn't, uh, it stays in a nice dry area. Better for metal, I'll tell you that. Nothing worse than rust after that, you know, after the water and the snow and everything is melted off of it. But if you can cover it up outside, that would be, that would be really good if you could do that. I used to do that with my, actually my 750 Honda, I used to put it outside and I'd cover it up. But I'd have to put a board underneath the, uh, the main stand because it would be sinking into the ground and everything like that. And then there's a more apt of it falling over so I just stick a piece of wood up in there and then I just do that and then if the wood sinks at least uh, the, the main stand didn't go into the ground with the wood I mean that'll that'll sink down but you know you won't have all that metal uh, with the moisture in the ground and stuff like that you know with all that mud back there probably after that or uh, I suppose a guy could take a piece of thin wood and stuff and put it out there and just put the motorcycle on that and being somewhat drier I suppose it wouldn't be sinking into the mud anyways <clears throat> okay I'll keep going here enough of the yapping for you right now right shut my face and get going here huh uh, personally the biggest um, beaver river trap uh, weighed officially 98 pounds people came from all over town to see the monster I got a lot of use out of that scale that day because of course they wanted to see the weight for themselves the thing the thing is the his pelt wasn't wasn't that good he was old and so the pelt was only given as a grade b at the trading post okay local local habitats for beavers rely on freshwater areas their habitats and mainly prefer areas running water. I've yet to find any stagnant water at all 
They like to follow trails, and that's a good thing for a trapper. Once you find a good trail, all that's typically needed is setting a good good trap. We uh, could discuss how to find their trails a little later. Muskrats will inhabit many more type of wetland areas than you'll typically find beavers in. They will live in mostly any wetlands with abundant supply of aquatic vegetation such as swamps, coastal and freshwater marshes, lakes, ponds, and slow-moving streams for the most part. They feed on aquatic plants including cattails, duckweed, water lilies, arrowheads, and sages. Um, That really turns out to be your key with trapping muskrat. If you don't see any Anything they would consider food, then you'll, you're likely not to find any muskrat there. Beavers, you may know, eat mostly tree bark in the winter months for their huts or dens. They prefer it is aspen trees, but then they will feed on mo- almost any trees that have a good uh, layer of bark. Um, the the tree bark it's a it's oh jeez can't even pronounce this word c a m b i u m something to do with a tree maybe it's the bark or something underneath the bark it's soft um, inner layers of the bark and beavers love it and it's also edible for humans however during the summer months they will feed on both bark and selected aquatic plants. Yeah, some of these words I've never seen. I mean, you know, probably way back when it was probably a really um, real popular word. They don't really use it anymore, I suppose, a little bit, depending upon where you go to look for those kind of words. I figured I'd just spell it out so you guys can figure it out what it is and go to the, go to the um, dictionary. The reason it's important to know that each of these little critters feed on it is that it makes a much better uh, trap. You think about it, if you didn't know what they eat, you'd be at a disadvantage in scouting places where you could be successful trapping them. The type of traps you'll use for beaver and muskrat. There are two main types of traps that you'll use when trapping for either beaver or muskrat. Foothold and body grip traps. The foothold trap is normally used along a land-based trail that leads to the water. Body grip traps are most often used underwater trails, which we will discuss later. So then they have an example of the trap, the fastener, the tag, the swivel, the pan, the spring, dog trap, foothold jaw, and lever. So it gives you kind of a general... um, idea what the trap is and what they're called and what the trap looks like and stuff. If you watch, um, oh, what is it called? It's on the History Channel, below Life Below Zero or something like that. Uh, They do a lot of trapping on a lot of different type of animals that go through there. Um, Could be beaver or something like that. I've never seen them trap any beaver unless they left it out of the, uh, the video, but they were probably by some ponds that were iced over and stuff like that, you know. 
Uh, the foothold traps don't need any teeth because um, the animals being trapped um, is so small that any teeth may just sever a leg instead of trapping the animal. The body grip traps don't have teeth either because they grip a large part of the animal and would put a lots of holes in the pelt. Um, there are several other types of traps such as snares, which may be illegal in many states, box traps, and many more. The biggest reason box traps never took off in popularity is that it's pretty tough to put out a hundred of them on a mule and go set your traps trap lines wherever getting that many foots footholds on or um, body traps on your uh, pack animal would be doable <clears throat> uh, later we'll discuss the method methods of using uh, to deploy uh, each type of trap for the best results having a selection of both is a real good idea since um, in one pond or creek area you might well find you need both to effectively trap just in that area that one area so they have a like a body trap and it's caught it's um, it's tied around two posts like driven into the ground or a couple trees that were together <clears throat> And it's held up a lot, lot different than the, um, say, the, uh, the ground trap. Because this one has to be suspended in a vertical position. So, like they have the, uh, some of the names of some of the parts on it. This one is called the dog, the jaw, the spring, uh, trigger wires, and safety catch. So I suppose you'd have to have something when it, when they pull it, you know, the safety catch has got to release and <clears throat> lets it spring closed, I suppose. I suppose for safety catch, maybe for yourself, I suppose. I, I don't know. That looks like it could cause some pain on the fingers. Okay, foothold traps types. First off, you really have to talk about the two main uh trap types which are long long spring and uh, coil traps long springs will come in a single singles or doubles what that means is that they have one long spring only on one side that snaps the trap shut or the doubles have two long springs on each side if you're going go after beaver and using long springs, I would suggest the double so that there isn't any doubt that the trap will close well and won't have any play in it um, where the beaver can get free. So that they're talking about the coil spring trap. It's a spring jaws and spring and there's a pan. And that's um, where you set your, your safety, I suppose it'd be some something on there bait or whatever like that now i'd never want to get my fingers caught in that thing not any one of these things oh man that would hurt <clears throat> definitely can't imagine for the animal either huh coil springs traps are much more the same and can be had uh, with one or two coils 
These coils are nearly located on either side of the trigger, which could be, could be round or rectangle pans as it is called. For the same reasons, I'm not going to recommend double coils on your traps. There are other big reasons why I always go with doubles. Traps freeze shut. I've never seen a trap freeze, but shut after freezing rains. It could be turned out to be ice, snow, thaws that refroze. When your trap freezes up, you won't get your beaver or muskrat, plain and simple. Debris fall on your trap from trees above or is blown there by the wind. Either way, you need a trap that will snap through all that mess and catch your critter. The animal, especially a beaver with a weight up to 100 pounds, can sit on your long spring and have it open enough, enough to get free if it is a single spring trap. <clears throat> the differences between long spring and coil spring traps so one of the really big differences is in size. The average small game beaver, fox, muskrat, and coyote coil springs trap only going to have an outside jaw spread of six inches and a total foot size and maybe eight and a half or nine inches depending upon mostly on the on the brand. On the other hand, your long spring uh, traps will have the same outside jaw area of only about six inches on average, but the springs themselves can be eight to 12 inches each and they stick out on either side. This can be problematic if you are setting your trap in a narrow trail or between two trees or two rocks because the trail goes there. From my experience, both traps close equally as well and stay shut as well as the others, the other, but um, the coil spring gives you a smaller trap that can fit into uh, tight spots. The thing about coil spring traps is it's to be wary of um, that. The spring levers can be treacherous to your body boots on so that don't slip. If the conditions are muddy and mur mucky, mud yeah, muddy and mucky, well then, say that word real fast, huh? Uh, most trappers will step on both sides at the same time when they are lowering the jaws to set the trap. Slipping with your fingers in there can be a painful at best, but just be mindful that, and I'm sure you'll get, you'll do great. <clears throat> uh, the long spring traps give you a spring uh, to step on that's up to a foot long on both sides the coil springs can be only an inch per side at the top before you get get it flattened out slipping at the moment is not advised lots of trappers have fouled up their hands from just such occurrences finding land trails the things you'll really want to look for are food scraps piles of uh, tree gnawing marks. Uh, trails start at any water's edge and droppings. Food, uh, 
Food scrap piles can be found at both beaver and muskrat. The beaver likes the inside, soft, tasty portions of the tree's bark or will eat all the new um, soft bark offshoots in soft um, branches, twig ends. If food is plentiful, you'll find that they will leave a pile of bark at just the soft inner layer scraped out. It kind of gives a diagram of the area where it's below the, the dam, worn out trails, trap, beaver pond above the dam. And then it'll show the beaver dam. So you get kind of an idea where to put the trap, I suppose. I've never I've never done it, so this is kind of an education for me. <clears throat> Muscat and muskrat and beaver will chew off a large part of the plant and then only eat the the um, choosiest parts if there is is a good food supply. When they do this, they leave a food scrap pile, and it is easy to see. If you see see uh, uh, tree gnawing at signs of about four to ten inches off the ground, it's where it looks like it will be done by a small chisel that took out uh, small uh, gouges, then you quite likely have a beaver in the area. Both beavers and muskrats never get far from the water, so so walk the water's edge and find a spot where the grass is pushed down on earth. It is exposed really close to the water. It may even appear to be a tunnel in the grass as the grass grows around it. That's where you'll that's where you're going to want to see your foothold trap or depending upon the situation, maybe a body grab trap, body grip trap, sorry. We'll get uh, into how to decide that later. <clears throat> how to set a foothold trap. One of the mistakes people make is wanting to cover their traps with bushes or other camouflage, but beavers and muskrats don't know what a trap looks like and have no real na uh, natural fear of it. However, the bushes you put on the trap can cause it not to close fully or properly. If you don't, uh, and if you don't miss your critter, then they may, might learn not to like the strange metal thingy. Be sure to stake down your trap really well or wire it to the tree. If not, when you come back <clears throat> and you'll find it gone, you know you have a critter swimming somewhere with your trap on it. Just set your trap in the middle so they can't they can't avoid it and you should be good. Finding water underwater trails. If you have a beaver hut or a lodge and have clear ice with no snow on top, then look for a trail of bubbles leading to the hut. If you have snow on the ice, be sure to clear it away so you can find the bubbles trails. <clears throat> How to set a uh, body trap grip, uh, body grip trap. God, I can't even talk today. I need to make another pot of coffee. What do you think? Once you find the bubble trail, take an axe and a small square um, 
pull out of the ice, then pull out the ice chunks. You can uh, body grip the trap and put a peeled potato on the trigger prongs. Be sure to check with your local laws to ensure baiting traps are legal in your area. <coughs> put the trap on its setting stick. Uh, put the trap on its setting stick. Okay, I read that right. I thought I messed it up. This is just a good stick you found. The chain it to its cross sticks that sway out on the top of the ice to keep the trap there. That stick needs to be longer than a, a hole is wide or the critter will get away with your trap. When, when you come back, you'll likely have a beaver in the trap. If you can't find a bubble trail, look for narrow spots in the creek and set the traps there. If there are none, you can bet that the entrance to the hut will be pretty much facing the water. Just set the, the body grip trap 10 feet from the hut to the center of the same way by chopping a hole in the ice, etc. Okay, tanning. <clears throat> there are a ton of manuals out there on skinning, so I won't uh, go into that, but I will give you some tips on tanning. First off, never pull your hide tight and let your dogs defat the hide for you. I know a lot of people do that, but it's a mistake. Here's why. Your dogs don't know when, when you have added your tanning mixture to the hide. Alum, alum is aluminum sulfate, which is not good for dogs, and soda will give them gas so bad you'll wish you hadn't done that if it's an indoor dog. Once you're ready, mix the little recipe. Two-thirds cup of arm and hammer spice washing soda, one cup of non-ionized salt, two and a half cups of alum. The mix is enough for one good-sized beaver, six to eight muskrats, or four to five good-sized rabbits. You can defat either before or after you soak the hides for the first soak. You may find it easier to do it afterwards. Fill a five-gallon bucket with about three gallons of warm water, but not hot. Add the salt and mix to the wooden stick till the salt is dissolved and add the aluminum sulfate and the washing soda stir again until the chemicals are dissolved. It will be a little <sighs> E-F-F-E-R-V-E-S-C-E-N-T I don't know. Never seen that word either. I'm sure a few of you people can pronounce that one, right? But that's okay. Drop the hide into the bucket and gently stir with a stick. You can use a non-metallic weight to hold the hide underwater. If it dries to float, make sure your, your weights are non-metallic or you'll have a worthless hide in no time with green spots on it. Only use a wooden stick and a rope type clothesline. Uh, you'll understand that the clothesline later for the same reason. Stir, lift out, and re-immerse your hides once again. 
in uh, for three days if you do not have the defatted uh, on your hide yet do uh, do so after three day mark then the look of your solution if it's if it's fatty dirty and only as it will be almost the time um, when you make a fresh batch of using the same recipe and soak your hides for four to 11 more days depending upon the thickness and the feel of the hide rabbit will usually tan well after seven days or after beaver is usually 14 days now writing out your hide by hand really well and hang it over a clothesline indoors overnight with a fresh side down and the fur up upside uh, side up so you probably want to you want to have it sticking to the ceiling you want to dry the fur out but not the hide the reason for doing this indoors is that the dogs and critters will come and take your prize right off the line if it's indoors you'll need to start breaking your hide each day kneading it together like bread rotating it in circles and knead it from from every direction this is how you end up with a nice soft hide inside of something that feels like a board when the hide is fully dry and not cool to the touch then you are finished with the hide selling at trading post <clears throat> the trader is going to do his best to buy your furs cheap that's your that's his job so don't take offense at it your beavers will have to reach his uh, fur uh, peak between December and March if so the trap during those times you'll have a good shot at a decent priced pelt blow on the fur in one direction and you will see that it is called uh, under fur Uh, to be prime fur this should be between um, 0.8 to um, 1.2 long of the kidney area of the beaver the guards the guard furs the longer outer furs should be between 2 and 2.4 long then of course you'll have to have the normal normal um, sun dry for him always saying well the hides nicked here or the, the the split line of your skin was off so it's systemat um yeah, I can't even talk today s-y-m-m-e-r-t-r-i-c-a-l okay eh, I'm just not good at words today I guess so I'll just spell them out to you let you smarter people figure it out <laughs> like I said I need more coffee right might get my thinking cap on better or something huh or other such things so he can barter you down like I said this is normal and your job is to refute his um, claims of course and there you have it now you have it can trap for beaver muskrat just like our forefathers did these are much the same methods that they use uh, for exceptions that a smaller number of trappers use brain tanning methods most of those furs could not be sold to the european markets because the smell was considered unsavior, so the practice of the brain tanning dried out. 
dry, died out, I'm sorry, not dried out. Follow the above and you'll be a successful trapper in no time. Well, that's the end of that one. That's 47 minutes, 55 seconds. So I'll come back with another one next week, next Sunday. Maybe I should do it later. Maybe I'll be more woke up. God, I was stumbling over some of these words. It's like, do we even use these words anymore? Maybe they do. They used to use them a long time ago. Maybe they still use them. Or maybe the past is repeating itself. Huh? So, anyways, uh, you have a good week. And uh, uh, some of the areas are cooling down. Like I said, maybe Florida is a little bit. You can get out there and <clears throat> hit those areas with a metal detector, definitely. And I'm sure the, the trapping will be starting here very soon, if not already. But the... the the, the, um, the lakes haven't iced over yet, so they're probably just thinking about getting the traps together and getting all their equipment right and everything or buying some new stuff or whatever. And um, in the areas that they, it hasn't been really hot, I suppose you guys you can get out and detect a little bit more, a little less bugs to deal with. And hopefully get out there and motorcycle ride before the season's up. Unless you happen to live in Florida or Arizona or out west or something like that. Uh, I won't even ride if it's 38 degrees. That's just way too cold for me. Because um, you're talking um, wind chill when it drops to 38. You're probably dropping at least wind chill. Probably could be anywhere from 34 to 36 degrees. So uh, some leather will keep you pretty warm. I don't know. I have the... Uh, some other riding stuff that I use. I, I have leather, but I find that my riding jacket, it's uh, kind of a nylon mesh, uh, keeps the wind out a lot better than a cheap riding motorcycle jacket, though. Just too many spots for the cold air to get into. Chaps do help, definitely. Or um, if you have some uh, uh, wind blockage on your crash bars or something, put something on on there to cover those bars because that'll help uh, um, uh, wind chill and stuff unless you got it open uh, open crash bars on your bike or something like that um, it can be pretty cold so I definitely put the chaps on or riding pants or whatever so till the next time be good stay safe bye bye